Hello, everybody, and welcome back to AMTV Radio. This is the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time, and we chat about whatever the hell we want to, quite frankly. And today, I am joined by someone who is a massive Doctor Who fan, has done a variety of content on his YouTube channel, and in fact will be acting with me this Christmas. More on that later. Introducing Isaac Whittaker-Dakin. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Thank you for thank you for coming on today. So, as I always do with the guests, uh, some people might be aware of yourself and the work that you've done, but for maybe those who aren't as familiar, just tell us a bit about yourself and what it is you do. Um, YouTube or or career wise? <laughs> mm. uh, well, either, either. Feel free. Okay. Um, uh, career wise, I'm an actor. Obviously, not the best of times to be an actor with the pandemic, but luckily things are healing up now. But um, I re- I um, I finished uni about a year ago. Uh, did a BA in drama, MA in children's theatre. And I've just been doing the occasional job that I can under the pandemic. Um, and, um, you know, been, been kind of struggling to get a day job uh, this past year. And I managed to get one as a teaching assistant because I thought it's better to do a job waiting for that next acting gig in a job you're going to like rather than working in retail. Because I did that last Christmas and I mean, it, huh. pe- it gave me money, but not what I want to do. Yeah. Which uh, which <laughs> retailer it, was it, if you don't mind me asking? It was Jack's. Um, oh, okay. It's a branch of Tesco, and yeah, sometimes yeah. customers are annoying. <laughs> it's oh, any customer. I've worked in customer service uh, myself a lot of the time, and it's it's one of those two edged swords, isn't it? It can be the best job in the world, but it could also be the most hideous job in the world. I used to work front of house. Well, still do in a way. Work front of house at a theatre, and again, you get lovely people who are passionate about it. You get to see bits of the. Uh, of the shows that are on but then you always get the ones who've had a bit too much to drink or want to complain about the price of this and and anything else so i do i anyone i'm sure is listening who's ever worked in customer service or retail will understand that as well but i think you're absolutely right as an actor getting a a job between parts is it's an essential one really because the sad uh, i think there's some misconceptions amongst i i guess when people are you know doing drama at gcse or a level at least i had this a little bit is that you know once you if you go to drama school or university so oh you've done that oh cool you'll be you know walking from job to job to job that's the conception you know because i but that's no that's not it very even the bigger actors some of them spend a lot of time unemployed the only difference is they often have the money to manage between roles whereas uh your average shows like us it's a bit different so I remember Stephen Delane, who played Stannis Baratheon on Game of Thrones, said, um, what's the most you got out of working on Game of Thrones? He said, money, because it helps pay for those. It helps pay for the waiting when I'm in between jobs. And yeah, I can see why. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one example, I guess we had, uh, obviously, Christopher Eccleston recently has come back to the world of Doctor Who. He's doing some big finish. And there was an interview, I think, where someone said, oh, you know, what made you want to do it? And I know he said the quality of the scripts was really good, but he also mentioned that he's doing it as an acting gig. You know, it's it's providing him with some money to support his family. As you said, jobs are a bit scarce right now. And I I saw some people go off at him, but I I get, I don't know, as an actor myself, I was like, no, but I get it. Like, I do, he doesn't have to come back to it because he's, like, enamored with Doctor Who as we are. Like, I, I do understand, like, acting, you need to earn money, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. You've got you've got to feed yourself, have a roof over your head. So, yeah, I never get those people who probably just, you know, scoff at actors and say, oh, you only did it for money. Well, yes, yeah. it's what makes the world go round. Exactly. And it's a much harder job than a lot of people give it credit for. But <laughs> we could, we mean, could probably people, spend the whole um, recording like uh, yeah. moaning about the industry, couldn't we? <laughs> I'm sure there's so many people out there in jobs they hate, but they're there for the money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only just... difference is their lives aren't public to people. <laughs> For sure, it's a factor of life, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk more about, because we're on a good stream with the acting at the minute, we'll talk more about your YouTube in a little while. But as an actor, you know, we all have our different ways into this. You know, some of us, they say we were, you know, born to do it. It's something we always wanted to do. Some of us stumble into it by accident. I was very much like that. Up and I started at the age of about... Uh, nine or ten was when I think I first acted and then it sort of snowballed from there but it wasn't like you know what I always wanted to do from when I was like four or five so what about for you Isaac how did you get into the the crazy world of acting um it was something I kind of always wanted to do because um as a kid I always liked watching film television Hmm. and um I remember in primary school there was only like um eight boys in our year And um, all of them preferred football. I was the only one who preferred (laughs) film and TV and that was hard. So that's what kind of inspired me because um, I think, um, I can't remember what film it was. It might've been Jaws. I got the um, 30th anniversary DVD for my seventh birthday, I think, from my parents. And it had a really, and it had a two hour long documentary about how they made it. And I realized that, wait, people do this for a living? (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's what... That's what really dawned on me. So I just really wanted to do acting. But um, I didn't like want to start off straight away because I wanted an education. Sure. You know, obviously I did um, I did GCSE drama. I did A-level drama. Obviously I did it at uni. And um, yeah, because quite a few people have asked me, if you knew what you wanted to do as a kid, then why didn't you just start already? And the answer for that is I wanted an education. I didn't want to go to a film set and come off and then, do two hours worth of tutoring and GCSE that just wanted that yeah yeah life but um, yeah yeah I suppose it's different for the individual but I think but I think you know in your like the angle you took is completely respectable I think I think a lot of people do that because uh one thing I always got told was always have a plan B not to try and you know discourage they would be like you know go you know go for the acting and all that but it's always good to have something I guess, in your background or behind you, you know, in the worst case scenario that you can fall back on, like an education, yeah. like a job, like another profession. So, yeah, no, I respect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that's how acting kind of started. And, um, yeah, I felt um, from my uni experience, when I did my BA and MA, I felt I was learning as I went along and I felt I was being kind of chiseled Uh, with my skills and being able to use them professionally because um, quite a few people on my course, when they finished, they felt I've not learned a thing. I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Quite a few people um, were like that. Whereas me, I had a plan, you know, I know what I wanted to do. So I think um, end of my third year, I got onto spotlight Mm -hmm. immediately and started, um, you know, just nudging people for jobs then yeah. yeah a month after i finished uni last year i signed on with an agent jcm management oh nice yeah yeah it's been oh, a bit okay. quiet over the year because of 
obviously the pandemic, but of course, um, self tapes and auditions have started to pick up with those guys. Yes, no, self tapes have been a, a lifeline to many actors in the, in the industry this past yeah. year for the jobs mm-hmm. that have been available. Absolutely, and um, yeah, well, I, well, I'm glad that you sort of. It sounds like you got what you know you needed out of it from your uni experience because it's such. It, it's hard to describe. You know, I know I've had people say to me, "Oh, would you recommend drama school? Would you recommend doing it at uni?" And and really, I think it depends on the individual. You know, there's no sort it of does, set answer. Yeah. It, it depends what you put in and then what you get out from it, how much you choose to take. So there's, do you know what? It's hard to recommend like further. I always, you know. um, yeah, I say to, I won't discourage people from uh, trying, but I, I disagree with the notion that it's be all end all for drama school. Like the oh, only way to become an actor is go to mm. drama school. Yeah, because you know, I still felt like I learned a lot of skills at university because I had quite a practical but also a theoretical side to it as well. And um, yeah, obviously, yeah. do it if you want to, but you know, no, uni's absolutely, not... absolutely. And especially in my course, I could still get onto spotlight with it. I even asked um, my careers officer at uni, like, do I need to go to drama school to get onto spotlight? They said, no, if you've done a BA in drama that should be enough to get onto spotlight with your training yeah i think you're absolutely right it's not a be all end all i mean uh the example i always float to is sheridan smith she never did uh drama school training or or anything like that and yet she's one of the most talked about actresses of the last few years so i mean it just it just goes to show doesn't it i think it, it really is how you apply yourself rather than the institution that you train at so to speak but um yeah but have you had a... it gives you it gives you the tools i'd say but um the only one who can use those tools are you yep yourself. absolutely it's what you put in have you had a favorite role over the years one that stands out definitely when i did uh, pantomime as part of my third year um it's called theater for young audiences we did a panto of rapunzel um I played Jackdaw, the talking bird who lives with Rapunzel. Nice. That was so much fun because yeah. we did about 18 shows over a 12-day period in, at Christmas. Yeah, nice. it was part of our course and we also got paid for it. So it was nice. the um, closest any of us, I think, had done to a professional production before. Yeah, it's a, it's an intense season pantomime, isn't it? Several shows in a day, very high energy, high octane sort of stuff. It is, yeah, and... Um, I think um, as an actor, I'm always going to try and at least have something in for Christmas acting wise, because it's probably yeah. the, I'd argue it's my, it might be the busiest time of the year for actors. Oh, absolutely. I Christmas mean, when you think season. about all the pantomimes that go on and then not to mention all the other like sideshows that happen that aren't necessarily pantomimes, but different sorts of Christmas shows. And I know from, I mean, I've been graduated for four years now, which is a little scary when I keep adding years as they go by. But um, I've been very lucky that I've been able to, as you say, work for like every Christmas season. And I think, you know, it, it's just that reassurance, isn't it? Because, you know, Christmas is an expensive time. It's a busy time. And it always feels worth it when you, most of my jobs so far, I finish, you know, just before or on Christmas Eve. And then you can just have Christmas Day. Well, I say have Christmas Day. I spent most of last year asleep. So, because I was absolutely knackered, but no, I I think you're right that I think if you ask most actors, like you know, what time of year would you want to be working, they'd probably say Christmas. Yeah, and um, the ironic thing is, immediately after that, January, it's the most dead time of the year. I'd say. 
Not, it is. Nothing's going on, to be honest. I call it my rest and recovery time, so I try and make the most yeah. of that. Um, and speaking of Christmas, uh, dear listeners, in fact, as mentioned, me and Isaac will actually be working together this Christmas professionally, as we are both uh, going to take part in the Polar Express train ride down, up, down, I should say up for me, up in Wensleydale. I always do that. I'm awful at geography. We're doing it in Wensleydale, yeah. if you know where that is, in a, a place called Leeming Bar, which is in the middle of nowhere, but it does exist, I promise. And um, yeah, it's basically, you've seen the film, Polar Express, it's basically like that, but for real. So you don't want to miss exactly. that now. Now, of course, you get to live the film. You get to live the film. And um, some of you, if you've been with my channel for a, a very long time, you'll know that I've done the Polar Express before, back in the Christmas of 2019, before the world decided to end. Um, but I believe, is this your first time with the Polar Express, Isaac? It is, yeah. I did audition last year because um, when I sent myself tape in, they said, um, we'd like to consider you for the know-it-all kid because you could do an introduction video that we could use. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, like on every train ride and we'd pay you for it. But mm. they decided not to go that route. So I didn't get the part, unfortunately. But um, I think it was sadly cancelled anyway because of the winter lockdowns but which was such a huge shame for the people who got the part and all and yeah I, I spoke to someone at the audition who said oh we had rehearsals we were all ready to go and then the government decided to say nope yes that whole winter season was a bit uh it was very up in the air wasn't it it was very all over the place last year and it and it was a shame it was a great shame but you know touch wood time of recording we're on the early september everything should be all right come november december crossing every finger possible um mm -hmm. but yeah so i mean this is a i guess a very different kind of show you know it's a, it's the same high energy as pantomime you're doing a lot of shows a day but um i guess what what are your what are your thoughts leading up to it how are you feeling for it i'm just really excited to um get started because um this is probably the most that i'm um yeah probably the most shows i've done for a gig because um, it's like what 117 I think and yeah, yeah I'm just excited shows. to yeah I'm excited to do it and um yeah I just want to get started because um yeah I look forward to kind of being away from home and um having accommodation up there because I can do sure. what I want <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah changing the same four walls isn't it but yeah. hopefully it'll be a great time and for anyone who might be interested if you want to bring your families or if you want to come along yourself that is from i think the first show is like the 19th of november i think and mm -hmm. it runs sort of every weekend and the final days up until i think the last day is the 23rd of december so you've got a whole month so if you want to see me and isaac tread the proverbial boards as it were on a moving train yes it moves it's not stationary it moves um then yeah book your tickets come down and see us uh yeah um, it'll be good fun having done it it's a great time it's tiring work but it's a very good time we're gonna be good so you know after this going forward you know 2022 and beyond um do, do you have any i guess like aspirations for where you want to take your acting career um yeah i'd love to um do more theater work that because it's now fully open it will be fully open for 2022 now because oh, when we started <laughs> yeah when we started this year it was shut again um but yeah i'm hoping i can do more theater work and i'd love to do more touring work as well yeah, yeah. um that'd be really good um and hopefully maybe go into some uh film and television because um 
my love is my primary love is theatre, but obviously I'd love to do film and TV if the opportunity arose. Absolutely. Oh well, I'm I'm glad you've sort of got a set path on where you want to go. It's always good to have that springboard plan. I think if that makes sense, like know where you want to go, and then you can make the inroads to do it. So you're on you're on your way there. Don't worry. But let's shift on over now. Let's go over onto YouTube, everyone's favorite website. Uh, <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. Now you've made a variety of content on your channel, and when I talk to people who have YouTube channels. Uh, some people don't like it, but I always go back to that very first video because, you know, we all started somewhere. And your first public video, of course, because some people private their old videos, which is completely fine. But the first public one, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a Series 2 Steelbook unboxing that you did back in uh, 2017. It certainly was, yeah. And um, you can tell I was so inexperienced because I didn't have the camera the right way around. Oh, I used um, to do it when I started back in yeah. oh, 2012, like the wrong angle or the I had the light on and you just couldn't see anything. We all we all do it. We all have those early days. But yeah, um, that was the first video I did. I don't really what inspired me to start because I thought. Um, I think it was unboxing videos that I was seeing and I yeah. thought, you know what, I could do that as well. And because um, I felt with a lot of you- YouTubers out there, they were using like, you know, video and film footage to yeah, get yeah. their points across. And I didn't really have those um, uh, resources at the time. So I just thought, OK, it's just me talking about a Blu-ray steelbook, sure. which I did. And then um, interest grew. So I just decided to make some more. I definitely think my craft improved oh, over yeah. time. But um, yeah. yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd probably say I'm kind of semi-retired from YouTube because um, um, A, because of my job and B, because um, I just feel it stopped being a bit fun, to be honest. Like, um, sure. there was, I mean, there was never a time where I was getting like death threats or hate comments 24-7. I mean, I got the occasional idiotic comment, which I'd probably share to Twitter and go, haha, what a loser. Always bound to happen, sadly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um especially I think on unboxing videos because they tend to do really well I remember when I did season 23 um the YouTube algorithm really boosted it but unfortunately it attracted some people saying I love Colin Baker as the doctor and I was like okay that's nice much better than that imposter Jodie Whittaker oh Oh, I see (laughs) just f off yes I know those Uh, I know those kind of comments well but um yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how this YouTube game works? Because I think when you start as well, most of us start, you know, it's completely a hobby. It's something we do for fun. And then when you get traction and things and things get better, it's it's rewarding, you know, and it, and it sparks you. But um, on what you were saying about YouTube stop being uh, fun, like regardless of the of the daft comments that you've had, uh, did did you feel it was sort of, did you feel it was YouTube itself that was like pushing you away from it like just with how it all works or more or less yeah because um you know um i remember back in january i made like um four in-depth reviews of doctor who serials pretty much every week and that's pretty um that's a lot for me and i felt because of the views i wasn't getting i wasn't getting much out of it you know barely any likes barely any comments like it was like no one cared (laughs) and um I just felt like giving up, to be honest. Um, Mm. Yeah. I mean, the most recent one I did was um, talking about Doctor Who was um, the 
unboxing videos. I mean, I think I'll still probably do those when um, the next collection box set comes or the next um, new series steelbook comes. I'd probably still do those because they're quite fun to do. Yeah. But in terms of reviews, I might not might not bother anymore because I, I did do series 11 and 12 reviews when they came out week after week and that was quite fun to do. Yeah. But for series 13, I might not bother because, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, it's and a tough one. To be one. honest, I feel that when I make a video, I feel sometimes my opinion just drastically changes right. <laughs> after that video. Because, for example, when I did Battle of Ranskorav Blebler, um, <laughs> I remember saying, yeah, it's okay. But now, about three years later, I'm just like, oh, that's probably the worst <laughs> new series finale for me. Um I mean, I maintain that a lot of the reviews I've said of series 11 and 12, I'd say, yeah, my opinions are still the same, but sure. I just feel like um, I miss out on things because when I do those reviews, I watch the episode like once, twice, maybe three times just to check if I've missed anything. And yeah, and sometimes it's that feeling like you've really got to justify why you like something because there is that whole debate of um, long reviews versus short reviews. Um yeah, it's a big thing at the minute. I, I feel it. it's so hard because it, it all feeds into like YouTube and its algorithm. And I, I found when yeah. I did the I did the same thing as you did for Series 12 when that came out. But I was putting them, you know, I was watching them as everyone was on a Sunday night. I'd record my thoughts instantly, but then I put it out on the Monday. And I'd always say in those videos, you know, this is I've only seen it once. This is just I've made some notes. This is just what I remember. But then I also know different creatives who would wait maybe a few days, like you, you know, like you say, watch it a few times, make a really detailed review of it, and it just wouldn't get that traction because the algorithm wants tight, you know, timely things like now, now, now. So ideally, in theory, your best chances are to upload it, you know, the same evening, like Sunday evening at like ten, eleven p.m. But then I, th- yeah, I felt, true. well, if I do that, then. I, I'm literally just going. Oh, I watched this, and and this happened, and do you know what I mean? For me, I I'm not the biggest fan of myself doing that sort of trying to just pluck things out of thin air that I remember. I'd much rather take the time, write out a script or some points. But it, it's that weird thing with YouTube, isn't it? It seems the more effort you want to put into it, not ev- sometimes it just doesn't acknowledge that. Yeah, I feel like the only way you can get traction on the internet sometimes is being basically a negative Nancy all the time. <laughs> sure, yeah. Basically saying what's new and why it's crap. <laughs> That's probably mm. the only way you can get traction. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky. I, I do, I, I hear what you're saying. I am a believer that you can be like yourself or whether that's positive or negative and it, it, it can shine through. It's probably just a lot harder. Yeah, but yeah the, YouTube doesn't make argue, it easy. <laughs> yeah, I'd argue one of the shining examples is um, full fat videos because um, they're positive and constructive, but um, they get quite a lot of views because I know, um, I think it's their How the Russos Fixed Iron Man. That's I think that's how I got introduced to their channel. That's yeah. got like over a million views and it's a positive and also constructive video and it's not just um this is bad because ding here's a timer for something yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. no it's um for, yeah full fat videos have done a really good job uh, across a whole variety of franchises as well at sort of like you say being constructive but not just overtly negative shout out to full fat videos by the way we did have a chat with them a while ago you can check that episode out but 
Yeah, so I think, like you say, they're a good example of it can work. I think it is just harder because YouTube and all the social media sites, let's face it, things like Twitter and Facebook, they prefer the negative sort of stuff because it gets more engagement. So it doesn't help itself, really. Yeah, because plenty of um, YouTubers have caught wind of that. If they put um, fail or bad or rubbish in the title, they know it gets views. yeah. And um, yeah, some people just um, prefer to be a white supremacist on YouTube and just. Sadly, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, sadly. I know what helped me, and uh, for anyone who might be trying to, you know, do YouTube for yourself, considering this isn't even now, you know, I don't consider this my job. It, you know, it's still very much a hobby that I enjoy. I think that helps me a little bit because I try and go with the mindset of I'm making this video because I'm, you know, passionate. I want to talk about it, show it, whatever it is. And if people respond to it well, cool. If people don't respond to it, I just have to be like, okay, cool. Like, you know, move on to the next one. I think I've tried to sort of say to myself, don't try and make your content for anyone else. Make it for yourself. And if other people enjoy that, then that's cool. I know that does that might not work for everyone, but it certainly has for me over the past uh, year, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel... Um, so, yeah, I'd... Yeah, with YouTube, I never intended it to be like a full-time job for me that I'd start at the bottom and work my way up. I always intended it to be a hobby. It's just, Mm. um, yeah, it's just something that um, I'm not too fussed about anymore, to be honest. But um, That's absolutely fine. I I still enjoy watching other people's content. Yeah, there's a lot of great creators out there as well, which is good. As long as there's good ones out there, that keeps us going. But on the stuff you have done you know you have done quite a variety as well you know you've done rankings you've done reviews but one interesting thing i found one of the most like successful if you like videos you've done uh, are a variety of uh, youtube poops uh yeah. mainly based around thomas the tank engine and i mean youtube poops i think are an art form in themselves right like the way you have yeah. to create i've never <laughs> done it myself but i do think they are an art form so what yeah what made you want to try that and were you surprised at like the the reaction they got and like the the viewership they got i was quite surprised yeah um my inspiration came from the real xbox nerd who does thomas the tank engine ytps and also a youtuber called Christoph who does um uh youtube poops for disney and pixar films um okay. they're both brilliant channels you should definitely check them out and i thought you know what i'm not too i'm quite good at editing let's see what i can come up with and um, yeah, I just um, I just make random jokes just with the prey that someone likes them. In fact, one of my most popular ones is the Home Alone 2 one. And I don't know why, because I made it in two hours and all it is was <laughs> me just either speeding up or slowing down the footage. I mean, it's so basic editing, but yeah, people seem to like it. <laughs> That's always the way it is. It's the ones you 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 know, you make in about an hour that always do well, but then the thing you spend days on is like a blip in the wall. It, it's it's a funny old system, this YouTube thing. But I have mm-hmm. I have noticed on your channel that um you did uh readings of many of the original Thomas books. Now of course as a kid I loved the Thomas books when I was a kid, you know, and obviously the the original TV show uh with all the the models and stuff you know i think for a lot of people listening you know that that was that was it that was childhood watching and and reading thomas so i take it you you've always been a fan yourself then oh yeah definitely ever since i was a small child it was probably the first thing i ever remember watching um yeah i got into i was probably a fan of thomas before i was a fan of doctor who (laughs) 
I think we all reasons. were, really. Yeah. yeah so. um, yeah, I had so many VHS tapes. That's how old oh. I am. <laughs> no, me too. Yeah. I used to have the tapes, yeah. And quite yeah. a few DVDs and obviously... um um yeah and when the inter- when i got onto the internet you know i looked into so many things about the production of the show and um um also um other railway series books that i weren't aware of because i only had the first 26 in like one yeah. big volume uh that were written by the wilbert audrey but i had no idea that christopher audrey had written more as well oh, and right. um i've still not read those um books yet because they're quite hard to get hold of but um yeah the internet kind of opened up my uh eyes to um the production behind it and also yeah. um i'm heck i'm subscribed to quite a few people whose main content is about critiquing thomas the tank engine oh hey everything's open to be critiqued regardless of, of what it is and i respect that but yeah, Thomas is, is a funny one because wasn't weren't the books, the originals, they were written in the 1940s, if I'm right. But then the uh, the TV show didn't happen until the 1980s. So there was quite a big, uh, yes, um, well, just a big gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first book, I think, came out 1945 because last year they celebrated its 75th anniversary. Heck, that's ah. why I did the um, that's why I did the marathon to celebrate sure. its 75th anniversary. And um, I think he wrote like one book a year on and off until I think 1972. And then, yeah, the TV show started in 84, but there were other attempts to get Thomas on the TV screen. For example, there was a, um, an infamous reading. I think it was, it was even Jack and it was just another TV show. They tried, it was made in the fifties. They tried to do a retelling of one of the stories and it was live. Uh, so the narration was live the recording of the model was live and unfortunately the model came off the track and the narrator had to say you know there was once an engine called henry who came off the track oh dear and was back on again (laughs) does does that footage still exist or is that one of those sad things that is lost i think it's lost in time now but um that's a shame yeah in fact, yeah. a lot of people don't know, but Andrew Lloyd Webber tried to create his own series of Thomas the Tank Engine because he had read the books as a Did child. He? No yeah. way. Late late 70s, yeah. And um, yeah, nothing came through of that. But um, he, he ended up creating Starlight Express, which was inspired by Thomas the Tank Engine. You know what? His, now that you've said that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and, his, and his company, really useful group or something like that it's based on that phrase you're a really useful useful engine engine. yeah oh all these see i had no idea you're all getting the knowledge here this is it that's it's so interesting i never knew andrew lloyd webber was such a big fan yeah Um, he was he loved the books as a child and always wanted to do them and yeah it's such a shame with um now what thomas has become because um Originally, it was models, then it was CGI animation. But I didn't mind that when they switched to CGI because um, they still look like train models. They, yeah, it was like they just, just got... took the models and made them CG. It still had that look, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it still had that aesthetic feel to it. But now it's just a cartoon. It's just horrible 2D animation. They don't oh, look like it? train. Yeah, have you seen oh. it? It's called... The reboot is called All Engines Go or some crap like that. And it just looks so awful. I haven't (laughs) seen that, to be honest. I do remember the, I say in inverted commas because it's fandom, the 
the uproar when uh, Thomas got moved to CGI. And like, I get it, but I think as I've gotten older, my thing is like, I guess at the end of the day, they'll always change things for different generations. Like there'll be generations who'll probably have grown up on the CGI stuff and love it and think anything yeah, else is... Having, um... Yeah, having looked through um, some videos which people talk about the CGI era, I'd argue they had more issues with the writing than the sure. fact that they transitioned it to CGI because, um, yeah, I think um, the head writer, I think she was called Sharon Miller, got a lot of flack from fans. But then nice. I think in 2013, 2014, Andrew, a writer called Andrew Brenner took over and a lot of people said, yes, that was a lot better. It feels... Um, more like Thomas and heck he even um adapted some stories to t from the books to tv that hadn't been adapted yet right, mainly because okay. of um budgetary reasons I think with the models and things like that sure yeah yeah and they they've had I mean I mean to be fair the brand's still going strong so he can't complain there yeah and um they it did is, so yeah. many they did so many films at one point like in the mid to late 2000s I remember there was loads of like director uh dvd films like, i remember there was one i the, i can't remember what it was called you might be able to help fill me in but there was one where they they advertised it on tv so much and the big draw apparently was the fact they got pierce brosnan to narrate it yeah that was um i think it was called the great discovery or something like that yeah and, i remember um, that one i think it's i think it's quite notable because it's the last one where they used um models because i think a year mm. after that a year after that they had a season where the trains were models but they had cgi faces so their lips and eyes could move oh right and blink yeah and oh, but... um oh well i mean as the narrator that was a um treat i think yeah i mean obviously everyone still remembers ringo ringo stars the first one people like do the impression of but of course what might some people might know is he only did it for was it the first two seasons he didn't do it for very long yeah he did it for two seasons um when they took it to america they made thomas part of a show called shining time station mm. and um they had a character called mr conductor who ringo Starr played who oh. would um basically let me tell you a story about thomas and it cut to them showing an episode of it he right. only did one season of that as well and then um george carlin took over for american audiences yeah and here we got the lovely uh michael angelis who is sadly no longer with us um yeah because... i was um <laughs> i was amazed at how much of a reaction there was because i made like a tribute video uh, i put it on youtube i put it on twitter and it got like 600 likes. I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, I think... <laughs> That's probably the most liked tweet I've ever done. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I think Ringo Starr, I've got, you know, just the name of him is the one everyone like remembers off the top of their head because, I mean, you know, it's Ringo Starr. It's a former Beatles sort of thing. But mm -hmm. I'd argue Michael Angelis, for me at least, is the voice I remember the most of my childhood Definitely, watching Thomas. Yeah. I probably saw some of the Ringo Starr ones, but... It was definitely Michael Angelis whose voice I think resonated with me the most. And like the way he'd use his intonation a bit more to like amplify certain moods or scenes. I think he did a fantastic job. So I think that's why there was such an outpouring because there's probably a lot of people out there who maybe assumed it was always Ringo Starr and then learned actually, no, it's this other guy. And um, true, yeah. he just did a cracking job. So it is a shame he's 
not with us anymore. But at least, you know, thankfully we have all of his episodes to enjoy. And one thing I enjoyed, and it, I don't, well, I don't know if it's the first film I ever saw in the cinema. It might not have been. It's the first one I remember. Uh, Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which I know has become a bit of a meme these days, and rightly so, it's hilarious. Um, I remember seeing that, and I bawled my eyes out when they went into... I think I had to leave the cinema for a few minutes. It's the scene where it's like, I think Diesel 10 chases James into like that red tunnel with all like the steam oh, and stuff. Yeah, that, mean, is, um, that is a pretty scary scene. I had that, I didn't see it in the cinema, but I had it on VHS. And um, are you aware of the director's cut of it? I've I've heard of it. Yeah, um, the original cut, it was, it was torn apart by test audiences because... Um, they got mostly, um, they got a taxi driver from the Isle of Man called John right. Bellis to voice Thomas. And um, he was so happy. He was like, oh, yes, this is my big break. I've finally done it. <laughs> Recorded, I think, the majority of his dialogue. But test audiences says, oh, he sounds too old for Thomas. So they cut him and oh. redubbed the dialogue with another actor. And also Michael Angelis was supposed to be voicing some of the trains as well. He was supposed to voice James and Percy. But again, test audience has said, he sounds too old. And big shock of all, there was a human villain in the original oh. cut called P.T. Boomer, who was after, you know, Lady the Lost Engine. Yes. And um, apparently test audiences said he was too scary. Oh, so blimey. they cut him out. What, so and they just put Diesel, Diesel 10 in? Christ. Yeah, because like... <laughs> in the original cut, Diesel 10's just an engine who wants to cause trouble. He has no interest in lady the lost engine and all that sure. but um yeah so they cut him and just gave it all to diesel 10 and that's why the film feels so so empty because so much of it was left on the cutting room floor and a work print edition did find its way onto youtube last year oh. and um it was pretty interesting to uh look at because they put in all of pt they put all of pt boomer back in and I might have to I try and it... find that myself. I mean, PT Boomer, yeah. if, as if this film wasn't already a meme, like <laughs> I bet everyone was like, oh yeah, PT Boomer. It did lead to a um, pretty cool meme. There's um, uh, there's a scene where he tries to bribe one of the kids or something, and he says, I don't talk to bullies, Boomer. And oh. um, someone, I think, made a meme saying, trying to argue with a white supremacist on Twitter. I don't talk <laughs> to bullies, Boomer. Oh dear. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I definitely got to find this work print edition now. It sounds really interesting. But, yeah, I'm um, sure it's still up, up there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the internet. It'll be, it'll be somewhere. If I dig deep enough, I'm sure I'll, I'll find it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. I think the Tom. It's like, well, it's like a lot of the fandoms we enjoy. You know, I mean, whoever thought again the one I can relate to most. Whoever thought Doctor Who would be the, as big as it is now, and you know, still going and have the fan base that it has. But how did how did you get into Doctor Who then? Where were your origins with it? I remember very clearly. I was eight years old. Um, I was at my great aunt's house. She'd often look after me. And um, Saturday night, Rise of the Cybermen came on. Ooh, I watched yes. it. There was nothing else on. And by the time the cliffhanger rolled around, I thought, oh, I've got to find out what happens next week. So here we are. But I can remember also seeing adverts for tooth and claw and because it had a werewolf in it i thought yeah oh i like werewolves i could watch that but i missed it so um ah. yeah rise of the cybermen that was definitely my 
first one, a, yeah. A great story to jump in with as well. I love Rise of the Sidemen in the Age of Steel. Wonderful two-part story. And mm-hmm. w- were you hooked from there then, or have you had periods where you've sort of di- dipped in and out of the show? I was more or less hooked from there, because... Um, um, I can remember also BBC Three, they'd show a lot of repeats they of did. series one and two. Yes. And that was it was good when series two ended and we were waiting for Christmas because I could catch up on so many um uh, episodes. In fact, I remember buying the vanilla DVDs, you know, the series <laughs> yes. one. Those overpriced one. vanilla DVDs back in the day. Yeah. Um they yeah, I got rid of all those when like the Blu-rays and Steelbooks came out because sure. they're much better. But yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember a time when I didn't like, not like Doctor Who. Um, you know, I suppose, um, I think during high school, it kind of became my dark secret. Like, um, right. like that Lenny meme from The Simpsons. Please don't tell anyone how I live. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. um, it was during that period when I started high school, Matt Smith started as the doctor. Right. And so many of my friends decided, oh, I'm not watching. David Tennant's left. And yeah, yeah. I had this as well at high school. Oh, doctor Who went from being so... like the coolest thing ever to like the thing you, you, you didn't want to watch. It annoys me so much when I meet someone and say, do you like Doctor Who? And they were like, um, I stopped watching when David Tennant left. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I who you know, who am I to judge the viewing habits of others? But I, yeah, yeah exactly. I wish they give it. I wish they give it a chance. But um, I mean, at the time of recording, um, um hopefully, <laughs> sounds like it probably will. But at the time of recording, we do not know who the next Doctor's going to be or the next showrunner. It's been announced, mm-hmm. but it's still up in the air. Is there any names that spring to your mind that you'd want to see if you were in, if you were calling that shot? Well, um, I've half joked that because I'm in the industry now, it should be me. <laughs> um, but um, on, in all seriousness, um, I'd really like to see Alexander Sidding as the Ooh, Doctor. Interesting um, choice. I know he's in Star Trek, which I haven't seen, but he was in um, Gotham as Raz Al Ghul, and he was really good in that. Hmm. Um, I'd like to see Joe Martin as the Doctor, but yes. that's kind of an odd one because she's a Chibnall creation, and yeah. um, it would feel quite odd for the showrunner, that the new one anyway, to um, bring in a new Doctor who was from a previous era. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it could it could work if you have Joe Martin be um, the fourteenth Doctor. I'm sure they'll work a way around it. I think um, if we've learned anything from Doctor Who, it's that anything can happen and will happen, whether, whether yeah. people like I'd it love or not. For, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, I'd love for it to be a person of colour to be the yeah. next Doctor as well. Um, yeah. I know some certain YouTubers will throw a fit and probably have their heads explode if that happens. But, wow. um, uh, but if you can take different alien cultures living together on a planet, surely you can take different races and cultures of our earth you'd, you'd like to think together. so wouldn't you you'd like to think so but um i mean yeah. if the um cantina scene in star wars was filled with people of different ethnicities and races would you um throw a fit at that mm-hmm. well it, it wouldn't be on some people sadly that's not but what about um what about showrunner have you got anyone who springs to mind for that role showrunner um 
I was thinking maybe um, I'd like to see Vinay Patel do it because I've um, I remember before Series Eleven aired, I um, did um, uh, I saw a play at uni written by him. I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was about um, I'm sure it was his play. It was about a joke in a workplace that had gone too far and people were finding it too offensive sure. and too edgy, but. Um, yeah, and the great thing about the play is that they didn't reveal what the joke was or what the word was. That was okay. uh, really interesting, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Vinay Patel, Pete... Uh, oh, wait, hold on. Maxine Alderton as well. I know she's yes. only done The Haunting of Villa Diodati, but it's probably my favourite 13th Doctor episode for yeah. how she's reimagined the Cybermen. And honestly, extend that to four episodes and put the four in there. You could easily put that in season 13 or 14 absolutely yeah um but personally i would also like to see someone who's never written for the show before but say someone who's had quite a lot of experience behind sure. them in tv and film yeah yeah i yeah. would like to see that i do think i would like uh, for there to be a female showrunner because we've not had one since verity lambert <laughs> i know yeah not one in nearly 60 it's, years um, that's a bit telling isn't it in so. fact this that this um shocked me last year because i did uh, those quiz of rassalons uh, virtually and an interesting fact was waris hussein was the only um poc director who worked on the classic series which is crazy and, especially yeah, considering he was crazy. the first on the first story as well but um it was a different time back then, sadly. But it um, was, of course, yeah. Yeah, but classic Who, like, uh, ha- have you engaged with that much as well? Yeah, definitely. I, I am probably one of those people who does prefer classic Who over new Who because it probably just appeals to me more. You know, that's fair. Um, is it the yeah, serialized structure of it that you prefer, or it probably is? Yeah, because I feel like you can get to know the characters, whereas um, obviously in the new series. A lot of it's just rush, rush, rush. And there's you know quite a lot of um, single part episodes where I think that would work so much better if it was a multi-parter or two episodes. Sure. Um, yeah, I probably appear, yeah, I probably gravitated more towards uh, classic Doctor Who. Um, That's fair I can remember the first one I watched was Earthshock, again with the Cybermen. Ooh, wonderful and, um, first story to start with. Yeah, it's probably... Um, the best one anyone could start with and i can remember uh genesis of the daleks was my second one but it threw me off a little bit because obviously in that story the daleks aren't in it that much sure because um yeah i went in not knowing anything about it but um it surprised me because the first thing you see in that story is um a time lord showing up and giving the doctor a mission and um, I thought, wait, the Time Lords were around in the classic series? <laughs> yes, they Because <laughs> I thought it was part of his backstory all the way back to William Hartnell. Oh, that'd be an interesting what-if scenario. You know, what if the Time yeah. War happened that far back and he was always the only... That's... Hey, BBC, you ever want to do a what-if series? There you go. There's an idea. Um, we have a what-if series. It's called Big Finish. <laughs> that, that is very yeah. true. Love some more Unbound Adventures, please. Um, mm-hmm. But, well, this will be interesting then, because what I've been doing this season, Isaac, is with my guests who are Doctor Who fans, I've been asking them three different questions, the three ones, as I've been calling them, because they all involve the word one. And it'll just be interesting to hear what your answers are. So the first one is called The One I Love. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be 
your all-time favourite Who story. It could be one that you just have a lot of affection for where others don't or one that's special to you for whatever reason. What's the, you know, this the one story that if you could only keep one, which would you keep? Mm, that's hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, just, I'm just looking up because I've got all my DVDs up there. <laughs> Good point of reference. Maybe, um... It's not necessarily my favorite story of all time, but probably Tomb of the Cybermen because, um, Ooh. again, um, kind of keeping it safe so it's not lost again because it was a missing episode for about over 20 years. It was. And, um, yeah, it's my favorite Troughton story, uh, one of my favorite Cybermen stories, and um, it's probably my favorite story of the whole 60s, I think. it's Yeah, it's a lost... It's about looking for lost treasure. I mean, they think they're going to find lost treasure but they find an army of cybermen and yeah. um yeah it's yeah, it, it's definitely i think worth the hype because yeah. i know some people were disappointed when it came back i mean it's hard isn't it because you can't have i think sometimes we all do it fandoms like you have those unrealistically high expectations like when i think that's why enemy of the world is so loved now because all we had of it yeah. episode three is arguably quite dull out of context so then not many people were expect. you know, when they got found, it was like, oh, they found Enemy of the World. Like, why couldn't they have found Fury from the Deep or whatever? You know, something I, like that. I was one of those fans because um, I remember in 2013, the Omni rumor started. Yes. Basically saying um, all 106 missing episodes have been found or crap like that. They're going to reveal them yeah. bit by bit. But um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Enemy of the World. Yeah. Um, I remember watching it and really enjoying it. It Such was a um, good story. Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air, I think, for in season five, because all of those stories are based on the siege stories, which is a storytelling format I like, but um, <laughs> But when every story is like that, be, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mm. go with what works, I guess. Well, uh, two of the Cybermen, the one you love. Interesting. Good choice. One of my favorite Doctor Who stories ever. The second one I have to ask you is called One and Done, which is basically, you know, we all have those stories where you watch it and you finish it and you think, mm, I wouldn't necessarily watch that again unless I had to by choice. Do you know what I mean? So a story that you've watched, but you're not in any particular rush to watch again. Probably. I've got to go in with Trout and the Dominators. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's a story I've watched once twice something like that and yeah. unless i was doing a marathon as you said i'd probably have to watch it again because yeah i'd i'd argue the behind the scenes is more interesting than the actual story because it was a nightmare for all concerned because um i know the writers mervyn Hazeman and henry lincoln they tried to do a yeah with the quarks they tried to do a terry nation and think um oh let's hold on to the rights that way yes. if they become as popular as the daleks we can be just as rich we but it in, got yeah. into huge arguments with the bbc that i think derek sherwin more or less said um smile please took their photo and put them under a ban for life <laughs> thank you oh, yeah. yeah um and um it's funny because in that documentary, Mervyn Hazeman, I'm sure it's him, says, um, no, the sad thing is it's the only one they've bloody got. Yeah, <laughs> which at that time was them. true, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a story that, I mean, I'm not I'm not overly keen on it either. And the, But the, the good thing is, and I think a lot of Who stories are like this, almost any Who story will be someone's favourite. 
like i've spoken exactly, to people yeah. who love the dominators whether it's the chemistry between the leads which i must admit is the only saving grace for me like the three leads are good <laughs> yeah but yeah there's a lot of people who like it i'm not a big fan of it so i'm I'm completely in your camp with that one um yeah so ooh, two troutons on yeah. the trot it's what annoys me so much about the chibnall era but to be honest in retrospect because obviously i was online during the moffat era I reckon it's going to happen with each showrunner. The whole argument that um, it has no redeeming qualities, it's terrible, yeah. you can't like it, it's wrong, you're wrong for liking it. It's it's the two words I hate, objectively bad. Oh, <laughs> yes. I can't yeah. stand those two words. It's just so, for me, it's just so pretentious because it's a way of saying, yeah, you can like it, but it's objectively bad. And why, yeah. why don't you just let people like what they want to like? If they want to say it's good, let them. <laughs> That's the internet. It's ruined everything for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. But... Yeah, because I remember um, during the Moffat era, people were saying, oh, it's the death of the show. Doctor will never recover from the likes of Hellbent or Death in Heaven. Uh, but they're two of my favourites. <laughs> I know. Their, their finales, I don't. Um, I don't mind either. Yeah. <laughs> um, it always, it yeah, always, I mean, opinions change all the time, don't they? I think that's what we've learned with this fandom at large is I mean, nothing ever stays the same. Yeah, because I'd argue the first showrunner to bear the brunt of the whole killing the show was, I'm going to say Philip Hinchcliffe because um, he had the deadly assassin in his tenure, which did get a lot of, um, it's considered a classic now, but it got a lot of, black when it was first released about its portrayal of the time lords yeah and i'd argue graham williams got black for um probably putting too much humor in but um i can remember reading the um reading a book that was published in the 80s and ian levine said graham williams completely shows his lack of care for doctor who with the regenerate with the romana regeneration scene in destiny of the daleks right like yeah, it's clearly a joke. Yeah, it's uh, that. But I mean, to yeah. be honest, though, if I'd say if you did that scene now, certain corners of the internet would throw a fit. Oh, it's just I try not to engage with it all that. It's too tiring. I'll, yeah. I'll have my opinion and I'll I'll leave it at that for the most part. Let but... them wallow in their circle of wrong and self hatred. Sure. sure. Well, speaking of opinions, the third question is called Back to Square One, which is basically if you've got a friend who has never seen Doctor Who before, they might be aware of it, but they've never seen a single episode ever. What story are you going to choose to bring them into this world? That's an interesting one. I'd probably have to go with Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, okay. Why Remembrance? Yeah, because um, it's brilliantly paced it's got plenty of action so um i know what people are like now they have such a short attention span so they won't get bored it's four episodes um you know the effects and explosions for the most part still hold up it's easy to follow as well despite um uh being a sequel of sorts to other dalek stories and um yeah i yeah. Yeah, i'd say remembrance of the daleks and um a wonderful yeah, I choice that's probably the that's probably the best one to introduce Doctor Who to someone. Oh, it's a wonderful choice. We've got two Troutons and a McCoy. A lovely mix there. It's been interesting going through this so far, seeing what people pick for different answers. It's never the same, which is brilliant. You yeah. know, I always like the variety. So thank you for providing those answers. It's I like hearing different fans' opinions. Well, 
Before we start to round things off, Isaac, um, of course, as we've talked about acting, we've talked about YouTube, Doctor Who, Thomas, whole variety of things. So, again, going forward for, for yourself, uh, your acting, uh, YouTube, if you wish to carry it on, what, what's next for you? Can you tease us a bit of what you've got planned? Well, as mentioned before, we've got um, Poe Express coming up. We do. We um, do. My plan for the rest of the year is because... The great thing is I've got work sorted now until the end of the year. Um, uh, finish my teaching assistant job roughly October time before half term. Mm. Um, probably a few weeks off until Pearl Express starts. Then going into 2022, just keep doing what I'm doing, what I'm doing, really. Yeah. Uh, like hopefully it. booking that next gig. And um, in terms of YouTube... If I am going to do another video, it probably would be an unboxing video. Um, sure. There has been a debate of what the next collection box set is going to be because yes. I hope, fingers crossed, we get one before this year is out. See, I've thought about this. I've, I'm thinking maybe we'll get an announcement, but maybe mm. the release might not come till maybe like, you know, January, February time. I don't know. That's yeah, just that a hunch, though. That's completely um... founded on nothing. So. <laughs> Well, it happened for season 26. I remember when they announced it, they said coming December 2020, but it was pushed back to January. I know, oh, sorry, 2019. It, it was, was you're right. January 2020. Right. In fact, yeah, I mean, I joke when they announce when a collection box set's coming out, I just put, oh, so you're coming out three weeks after that one. Cool. <laughs> Bless them. They do try. There's a lot going on. Oh, yeah, on. definitely. But yeah, They're I know worth... what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just leave yeah, that leeway, cause... folks. If you think it's coming this day, leave a leave a bit of leeway because it, it might not. Unless you order from Zabby, apparently, where you get it like three weeks earlier or something. I don't know. But yeah. that's... <laughs> I know um, uh, there was a hint on Twitter the other day about um, it being number two. Like the, the, the number two was hinted at. And my two cents was um, second doctor, two doctors, two parters, season 22. Yes, my my thinking went that way as well. Is would that be the next box set you'd want to see, or do you have another season in mind? Like again, if you if you were in charge of it, which set would you want to see released next? Yeah, if I were in charge, I would go with season twenty two because it's got my favorite Cyberman and Dalek story in it. It's yes, um, I love Revelation people, especially. Yeah, yeah, I'd argue the only uh, dud in that season is Time Lash because. Um, I think every story in that is honestly ranges from great to pretty good. I mean, yeah. honestly, for me, it feels more like an anniversary season than season 20. I know. Which it, is, it, well, it was the first yeah, time really in the classic really show you had like the big four, you know, you had the Cybermen, the I Master, know, yeah. the Sontarans, the Daleks, like that never happened again in the classic show. So yeah, no, it's, no, it's, it's it a great didn't. season. In fact, in fact, I've noticed um, season 12 and 24, they're the only seasons that have been re released on Blu-ray that don't have the master in them. <laughs> Every oh. season so far has had the master in it in some way. That is and true. If I had to, and if I had to pick another uh, box set, I'd probably go with um, season 16 because I really want to see a Graham Williams. Yes, because we haven't had one yet, have we, of his? No, season 15 to 17 have um, not been released They're yet, waiting. But... They're waiting. But no, yeah. the Key to Time season, that would be a good Christmas gift, wouldn't it? Get the Key to Time on Blu-ray. Yeah, because I remember getting the DVD box set for that. 
yeah. my 13th birthday and um yeah and it's interesting it is um probably um if you're going by dvd it might be the least accessible um season of doctor who because um you can't just buy one story individually you've got to no. buy them you all. Got to buy the set. I yeah because i remember a couple of months ago uh, some fans were sharing he's here are the classic doctor who stories i haven't seen and most of them were season 16 and i was thinking why haven't you seen 16 yet? And I thought, yeah. oh yeah, it's because all of them are in a box set. <laughs> yeah, it's because they're all lumped together and you got to buy the whole thing. Capitalism mm. at its finest. No, I'm joking. It's a great, it's a great set. Well, I mean, the DVD range had some bizarre um, mixing of stories to put into box sets. Oh, but I love that though. I loved our random, <laughs> like my fa- one of my favourite ones, uh, like the Earth story where it's the awakening with oh, the gunfighters. God. Like I, No, I love it. I love how random they were willing to go with it. Like, I mean, it Earth great. story and you don't even put a John Pertwee uh, well, story I think they'd done most set. of them by then, hadn't they? I think part yeah. of it was to say, we don't want to give this an individual release. What can we put it with? Oh, they're both set It would have made more sense if you would call it Horse Tales, because both of them have <laughs> horses in it. Both of them do have horses. <laughs> See, this is all feedback I mean, for future. <laughs> I remember 2011, I bought Doctor Who magazine in January, and they said, we are coming to the end of the DVD range. Here's, here's what you could look forward to later this that. year. And one of them said, late coming later 2011, is a box set called Solar System. And Ooh. it was going to be the Ambassadors of Death and the Sunmakers in one like box set. Odd, but I like it. I like it. I wish mean, they'd done yeah, that. But... <laughs> yeah, Sunmakers is in Pluto, I think, and Ambassadors of Death is primarily based around Mars. So yeah. I guess that makes sense. But why? Oh, I, wish, <laughs> I wish they could have done that. That would have been so cool. Oh well. Myths and well, Legends was a weird one as well. It was. It was like the Horns of Naimon, Underworld, and the Time Monster. Well, I guess they had to release those somehow, and you know, with the reputation yeah. they have, they were like, eh, we can't do it individually, let's just put them together. But I have a lot of love for the Time Monster. Underworld, not so much. And the Horns of Naimon's just hilarious. Like I watch that with my brain off and I have a great time. I watch but... it every Christmas. <laughs> it's <laughs> Good the Christmas perfect... tradition. Yeah, it's the perfect Doctor Who Christmas special. <laughs> Absolutely. Horns and I'm on, folks. Check it out. But um, before we close off, Isaac, if you have any uh, work or social media shout-outs you want to do, please feel free to do so. Shout-out to Lewis Palmer, a.k.a. the uh, Gargantuan Apple. We do commentaries together uh, nearly every week. We do, mm-hmm. We've done Doctor Who episodes. We... Do, we've done a lot of films as well. We're currently in the mid... Well, as of recording this, they've probably already gone out, but um, we're in the middle of recording um, more Spider-Man films. We're going to be doing nice. uh, Far From Home and Into the Spider-Verse and hopefully um, some more films on the way. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. And what about where can people find you on uh, social media? You can find me on Twitter. I'm both at iWhitakerDakin and um, my YouTube channel is Isaac Whitakerdakin. Awesome. Well, you heard it there, folks. Go and follow Isaac. Go and subscribe to him on YouTube. Check out the Gargantuan Apple's work as well. Lots of good stuff to be enjoyed that we've talked about on the show. And Isaac, mate, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great chatting with you about a whole range of things. It has been great, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
No, wonderful. Well, before you go, folks, uh, just a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, hello and thank you for watching. You can leave a like on the video if you wish. You can let me know your feedback in the comments. Subscribe to the channel. We've got new videos coming out all the time, new podcast episodes every week. If you're listening to this on your audio streaming site, hello. And uh, you can follow us, whatever the button is, on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, all of those lovely places. We're everywhere. We're literally everywhere. So all that's left to be said is once again, Isaac, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And to the rest of you lot, I'll see you next time.